welcome to I Love This Thing So Freaking Much, a podcast about passion. My name is Sophie Katz, and today I am joined by Aaron, an astronomer who moonlights as a fic and poetry writer. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Hi, Sophie. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for being here. So here is how this works. Aaron will have three minutes to talk about something that they love. This can be a person, place, thing, concept, activity, anything they want. Our only requirement is that they love it wholeheartedly and want to tell us why. Are you ready, Aaron? I think so. (laughs) Yeah, I think you are. All right. Got my timer here. Now, what do you love so freaking much? All right, so I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go into my my astronomy nerd zone and talk about something that astronomers call um, adaptive optics. So the th- the thing that you have to know is that even though it keeps us alive, the thing that astronomers, especially astronomers who do observations from the ground, hate a lot is the atmosphere, because the atmosphere gets in the way of like everything because like the atmosphere is actually there it is actually like gas and stuff so when light hits it it gets scattered it gets thrown it gets messy and by the time the light gets to your camera basically your whole astronomy image is a mess and not very useful for science so astronomers were like hmm how can we fix this and they came up with this thing called adaptive optics where what they do is they stick an extra mirror into their telescope system except this mirror is special and that it has uh Uh, it can reshape itself um, by being poked on the back by these little things called actuators, many, many of them, up to several thousand. And so it, it, um, what it does is it uses a variety of different techniques, which are far beyond the scope of the three minutes in which I can talk about this, to sense the shape of the light that's coming into it. And then it reshapes that mirror in order to cancel that out and basically shove the light back where it's supposed to be. In this case, all the queen's uh, horses and all the queen's men can mostly put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Um, And in doing that, manages to reshape the light back into a good image that's actually really useful for science. And this is just really fascinating to me because I'm like, A, who came up with this? I don't actually remember who came up with it at this point. And B, like, they do these measurements several thousand times a second, like the most complicated systems that I know of do it three to 4,000 times a second, which is just ridiculous to me. And, but it's been used for so much really fascinating science and the technology that's used to do that is just so cool to me. And they've also recently started um, doing this in space, which is actually part of a project that I'm working on. Now you might be like, you just said that they do this because the atmosphere is a problem. Like you're not, you're in space, the atmosphere isn't there anymore. Why do you need it? But the thing is, once you're in space uh, and the atmosphere is no longer a problem, other things, other issues that the atmosphere was overwhelming start to become more of a problem, like vibrations or flaws in your actual optics in your telescope that also throw the light in weird directions that it shouldn't be. And so by using adaptive optics, you can also correct for those things. But it gets a lot more complicated in space uh, for reasons which I probably don't have time to talk about. But that's part of the project that I'm now working on uh, while working on my PhD in astronomy. So yeah, adaptive optics is just one of those many examples of ways in which astronomy has looked at a problem and like, I'm going to fix this in possibly the weirdest and most complicated way possible, but it works. And I think that's actually all I have to say at the moment. And that, I think the time is about to go off. Yep, there it is. <laughs> that was very well timed. Thank you for telling us about adaptive optics today. Yay. So, oh goodness, it's, I love that you started this off by saying you were going into your astronomy nerd zone, because that's very much the point of this show. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about 
how you first became interested in this, either adaptive optics specifically, or if you want to get into it, astronomy in general. I guess I can go into like adaptive optics specifically zone a little bit here, because uh, in undergrad, I was definitely very much not doing uh, research that involved adaptive optics. I was doing very different things. But then I went on my uh, I went on my grad school visits, my, my prospective student visits, and when I visited University of Arizona, which is where I'm currently at for my, uh, for my PhD, um, since I told them I was interested in working on generally astronomical instrumentation, like all the instruments that are used to do astronomy, well, they had me talk to a lot of people at Arizona who do adaptive optics because it is very much a thing that is done at Arizona. Um, and they did a good job of convincing me it was a really, really cool thing to do. And so then I ended up joining a group that was doing work tangential to that. And then uh, in my second year, I moved into the group that I'm currently in, where I'm working on this project that involves putting adaptive optics in space. And so good job to the people who were like, look at all these adaptive optics things. Aren't they neat? <laughs> <laughs> so, you, so you talk to people who to put it a certain way, loved adaptive optics so freaking much, and now yes. you love it so freaking much. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so now that you are the PhD student working with adaptive optics, could you talk a little more about that work? What are you doing with them? Uh, the, the, first, the first thing to say is that the, the technology that goes into adaptive optics and into these mirrors that can be reshaped, which are typically called deformable mirrors, it's very finicky and complicated. And usually technology that is put into space is, you know, like technology that's like a decade or more old, a, dec a decade old or more, because, you know, that's tried, tested. We know it can go into space. You don't put the brand new stuff into space um, <laughs> yeah. without testing it beforehand. And my advisor was in uh, previously involved in a project that involved pr basically just just putting a deformable mirror into space and trying to get some data with it like science would have been nice but the overarching goal was just to like put the thing into space and can we take some data that we could do literally anything with with it and they mostly managed that and so now i'm working on this actual project which is for a a proposed small satellite telescope that's going to be put into space that is going to look at uh debris disks around other stars so dust and debris around uh, other stars left over from the formation of planets around those stars um, and try to answer things about like the shape and composition and origin of those disks and in order to do that it's going to need to include a deformable mirror and adaptive optics in its system and so i've been doing my work has been doing a lot of simulations of the adaptive optics to make sure that we can actually do the science that we want to do with it. So let's take it a step further then. Once you have these images, once you've collected this data that, as you said, you could do literally anything with, uh, what then can you do with it? What are some examples? So this, this, gets into the, this gets into the parts of the projects that I'm a little less sure on explaining because I'm, I'm the hardware person. I'm not so much <laughs> the science person. But um, How about generally speaking then? If, if you're why, why are we, but aside from like, when I think about looking through a telescope, I'm like, oh, pretty stars. And I don't think about what can you do with this knowledge now that I know that the pretty star is out there and this mm -hmm. is what it looks like and this is what it's doing. So what is the purpose? What do you do with this information, with these images you collect in general? Mm -hmm. So the things that, yeah, something that we're studying mostly with this project that I'm working on, like I said, dust and debris in um, other rooms. And there's typically dust and debris in 
most solar systems left over from their formation, particularly if they have planets. We have dust in our own solar system, which uh, we usually call the zodiacal dust because it's mostly in the plane of the, uh, you mostly see it along the line of the, the zodiac constellations. And so when we talk about dust in other solar systems, we often quantify it in terms of our zodiacal dust. So we'll say a solar system has 10 zodies of dust, which is 10 times the amount of dust we have in our solar system. And so we look at, we, we look at the amount of dust, we look at the shape of the dust, we look at the composition of the dust, um, and this tells us a lot about um, how prevalent this is in the universe, how planets, uh, how solar systems and planets form, how their uh, structure evolves over time, which is all very good for understanding the formation of our solar system. But then also in a more practical sense, um, understanding the amount of dust that's typically in other solar systems is important for like future future missions that want to be sent up into space to look for planets because the signal of a planet can hide in the dust. And if you have, the more dust there is, the bigger of a telescope you have to make in order to actually tease out the planet signal in any reasonable amount of time. Mm. Uh, if, you ke- if you kept the same size of telescope and kept looking at systems with more and more dust of, with a planet hidden inside it, eventually you'd get to a point where it would take like the life of the universe to, to actually see the planet signal in it. So it helps us like understand the history of the universe we live in, but also helps us find other places if we ever ended up uh, going out there. Exactly. That's exciting. Erin, thank you so much for telling us about something you love today. Thank you for having me. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning in today. If you'd like to learn more about Adaptive Optics or our guest, Erin, you can find their social media information in the episode description. And don't forget to use the hashtag LoveThisThingCast to tell us about the things you love. I Love This Thing So Freaking Much is a production of Through the Window Media. This episode was directed by Sophie A. Katz and edited by Melissa Block. You can find us at Through the Window on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Tumblr. That is T-H-R-O-U, the window, at all those social media sites. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and you'll hear from us again soon.